welcome back to the First Touch Podcast. I am Tyler Brook, joined alongside Nate Canan. Nate, how you feeling? I am doing well, my friend. Happy October. We are finally in full spooky season, and I'm living my best fall life. You know I love this time of year. You're all about the spooky season. Uh, I'm a big f- I find it funny that we're both huge fans of fall. Like, that's our favorite seasons, but for just completely different reasons. It's definitely odd to me. Mine is football and cold weather, and then yours is just all pumpkin spice, spooky Halloween movies, all that shit. I have spent fall a little burned out so far. You concern me for your fall, and I bet it's probably the opposite way um, for when you see me, because I watch you every single weekend just looking like a zombie at the TV screen because when soccer's not on, you have football on. And I understand it. You have a, a freelance job to do where you got to keep up to speed with uh, what's going on in the American football world because you got to write for it. But I don't know, man. It looks miserable to me just to see the way that you watch football is like watching someone just go up for a fourth rounder at an all-you-can-eat buffet. And I'm like, no, no, don't do it. Don't do it. I tried to take a break this weekend from writing. Obviously, it's like I'm writing thousands of words a week. But Saturday, I decided to treat myself. I went on a little walk to clear my head. And then I saw a guy also walking, smoking a cigar. And I just went, man, that sounds perfect right now. I literally went to uh, this little place called Putt and Plume in Chicago. If you live around the area, I highly recommend it. But I bought myself a stogie and a bottle of Basil Hayden's bourbon. And then I proceeded to sit out on our deck for like an hour just smoking the cigar i felt like have you seen that meme of ben affleck where he's smoking the cigarette outside and he just looks totally dejected yeah that's <laughs> he just seems like there is so much shit going on in his mind and he just needs that cigarette that's what that meme looks like to me and i i can imagine that's probably what you were feeling like it wasn't just work but with everything going on you know news-wise i mean the president of the united states has covid the debates sports podcast writing it I, that's just exactly how i felt it's it's been a fucking week man i the only note is i just wish i had delayed that cigar until today recording after watching liverpool lose seven to two we gave up a touchdown of goals the football is not escaping you you have to now watch a team score a football uh touchdown amount of goals against your team yeah that's a that's a lot to process and i bet and i'm just over here uh, on the opposite end of that with my own team feeling great but then again every single day i'm watching different horror movies and that's just a lot of emotional trauma that you can bring onto yourself for no reason too i enjoy the fall for different reasons than you do you know what it's fall though and that's giving me life all the soccer i could ask for there's all the football i could ask for and i'm going to force all of these horror movies on you i've only made you watch one so far oh god yeah, what's what's on the deck tonight? I'm I'm scared. What I'll say is for those out there that are interested in following along to me subjecting Tyler to different horror movies or just spooky movies in general, head over to my Twitter. It's N8 underscore track, Nate Track on Twitter. I posted my full list of thirty-one different uh, Halloween type movies. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know there's probably some members of the FTFC out there that want to celebrate October the same way that uh, we are here. So when Tyler's not burned out by all the sports going on in his life, he has a nice, relaxing evening of slasher films to unwind to. 
and Nate knows this very clearly. I am not a big horror movie fan, and I do get spooked easily. So just you know, adding all the exhaustion with some trauma, just you know, really wrapping up the week nicely. Now I feel bad because it's, my list isn't just all hardcore horror movies. Like I watched It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown last night, and I've also already watched Halloween Town, and those are like the fun ones. And I'm just making you watch every single one that's just it's terrifying. <laughs> The good news is for at least the next hour is we don't have to talk about any of that and we can just enjoy some soccer, which is, I think, the reason people come here. Maybe it's to hear yeah. our our personal drama. I got a good joke that we can transition into this. So here, oh, here's, please. Yes, Absolutely. Wh- while we're all seeing red and horror from all of these movies, talk about all the red that we saw this weekend with a few interesting red cards, right? Come on. That was good, oh, right? Boo. Good, good, good boo. transition. I like it. I like it. It wasn't okay. Fine. Okay, I'll give it to you. But yes. Yeah, it's not an amazing amount. It's not an abnormal amount of red cards. I just think that we had some pretty highbrow games with some controversial red cards. First, I want to talk about what happened over in the Italian league in Syria. Um, the match in particular between Lazio and Inter Milan. Yeah, because if I recall, Lazio is now your Italian team, right? Like I chose Roma. You chose Lazio, which I, if I recall, because I'm still new to this, is our rival, right? Um, I, I like kind of just following your rivals in some ways. I'm not sure if I'm necessarily loyal to Lazio, but I think there's a lot to like of this team. I think they're highly competitive. They have some stars. They had the Golden Boot uh, winner, Immobile, on that side as well. And that's kind of why I wanted to highlight this game is, is because I also really enjoy the team of Inter Milan as well. They have a stacked bench. I, I think a lot of our listeners would know like Dal, Christian Eriksen, as well as Lukaku, Lukaku, Romelu Lukaku yeah. and, and other former Manchester United players as well, Sanchez. They have a recognizable bench. As you're saying, both sides had one player sent off, including Immobile, who, as I mentioned, was the leading goal scorer of the league last year. How exactly did these guys get sent? off i find it very rare that you see two not not just two red cards but one from each team i feel like that does not happen a lot mostly because it became a highly contested physical game uh, between both sides like emotions were flying left and right a mobile was sent off actually for slapping uh, vidal vidal brought down the top goal scorer in the midfield. And it kind of appeared that he was going over to try to help him back up. I know sometimes it's a little bit of political move, as you might think, to chew, show the ref that it wasn't as a scrappy type tackle. So he goes over Immobile. Immobile immediately, uh, he is face down on the pitch, rolls over looking like you know someone with insomnia in the middle of the night, flailing his arms and just brings his hand across the face of Aturo. And Aturo then does the good old oh my god, soccer flop kind of thing where he takes his hands to his face, turns over, and because of violent conduct in that action, uh, Immobile is sent off, actually. I feel like that's the last person I want to try and mess with is Vidal. He's just a scary-looking dude. Emotions continue to fly throughout the rest of the game. Inter, who has seven points in the last three games, also finished with 10 men after Stefano Sensi was demissed from following a clash with Gil Petrick, who also made... The most of the incident that led up to it. Lazio, which was fourth in last season, now have four points in the last three games. Inter was the runners-up last season, 
who this is their first time dropping points so far out of this new season in Syria. I mean, that's a hell of a start for them still. It's just got to be weird seeing a game that emotional and physical. I'm about those games, though. I feel like that always adds a little more bad blood for when they, you know, meet later in the year. Both teams have a lot of proof this year. Juventus was the champion of Syria, and both of these teams have a lot of talent on both of their sides and a lot of momentum to go. They want to finish out in that top spot, and they both walked away uh, with one point. So shifting gears now over to another game. This sounds probably amusing to our listeners. Every single week, I come into this podcast saying I'm not going to talk about Tottenham. I'm not going to talk (laughs) about Tottenham. This is not a Tottenham Hotspurs podcast, even the same way that whenever we show prep, I try to, you know, if there's something topical to bring up on Liverpool, we end up bringing it up. But this isn't a Liverpool or Tottenham podcast, but we have to talk about this because it's just been such an interesting week for Spurs. Not only did they have four games out of eight days, which they won every single game, they had the Jose Mourinho derby this weekend facing Manchester United. In the 28th minute of this match, Martial was sent off in retaliation towards Eric Lamella when, during a corner kick, Lamella was physically pushing him away, and it did appear that there was some contact from Lamella's arm towards Martial's face, which then Martial retaliated back, smacking him across the face as well. And then Eric played it up a bit and, you know, fell to the ground. And I got to say, you know, if I wasn't a Tottenham fan, I'd probably be saying, why is this a red card? But when I watched it from the referee's angle, it was a lot of fast motion. And it did appear, whereas Eric was kind of just pushing him away. Martial, no excuse here, did just go out for the face and retaliation. And that's just kind of unacceptable at this point. And I, I can see where the call is made, but I can see where it's up to some argument, though, from a Manchester United fan. Bro. Bro, come on. Come on. That's not a red card, man. Like, I get it in the rules. It's a red card. But, like, it was just like a, what, a little slap on the cheek or, like, under the chin. And then Lamella kind of like thought about it for a second and then falls over. Like that's the most extra reaction to that. Like in no way was that that painful. And just that's not how you that's just not how you should get sent off, man. Like that is just such a weak red card to me. I will say this. I did think you guys had been playing very well, except for that very early PK with how many games you guys have played and the fact that you won all of those. I think you guys are starting to roll. You guys are looking pretty good. That counterattack specifically is looking, uh, you know, ridiculous. I appreciate that. And I will talk about that in a second because I do want to give you some pushback about this red card. Yes, I agree that it's such a weak red and it was extremely overplayed. But at the end of the day, I do think rules are rules, and that is violent conduct. You don't go after a player's face like that. And again, where the referee was standing, he was facing that box, pretty much looking at them directly. And whenever you and when you see that, I can understand why that call is made. Yes, it is a huge flop. There's no way that it hurt that much, but it's a strategic play in defense of you know Eric's flop in some ways. I can see why that call is made, but yeah, I would be pissed if that happened, but it it is what happens. It's the same way as whenever you watch, from when you watch hockey and you see a penalty being drawn, it's a strategic penalty being drawn in that moment. You got to have more control over yourself. You never go after a player's face like that. 
Well, obviously, this was the only match in the Premier League where there were a lot of goals scored. So, you know, we don't need we don't need to talk about any Premier League, I think, outside <laughs> of that, right? Like, nothing else happened. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. The Premier League is so interesting this year, and I'm for it. I know it's very upsetting for you to not have that kind of Liverpool dominance you expect coming from last season, but it makes things so fun and interesting. At the finish of last season, regardless Project Restart and COVID, let's just pretend 2020 COVID never existed and we never had this you know go to your beach world setting in that environment none of us would say that Everton of all teams is top of the league let alone Aston Villa the villains coming in at a hot number two so far I'm just looking at that table and my first thought through four match weeks is just oh it's drunk it's just it's wasted and nothing makes sense I mean I got this pulled up our boys are five and six which is weird Leeds is eighth Newcastle and West Ham round out the top 10. We have Man City at 14th. Or sorry, we have Man United at 16th. I get that it's such a small sample size, but like this, like I think Mark Madden said it best a couple weeks ago. I think you can win the league this year and have a few losses. That's what's going to happen. There's no way that Everton's going to have a perfect season, right? I can't I can't imagine a scenario of that happening. Do you think that they're just like, they're so pissed that Liverpool finally won the league that all these moves, Carlo Ancelotti, a manager, that it's all coming together and they're not going to lose. They're not even going to draw. They're going to win all 38. It has to be some part of that motivation, right? That has to be something that is motivating that Marseyside derby that we have, whereas they saw that someone that is literally just an earshot away can do this that they want to feel that motivation to do that as well. There's there's a lot of Evertonians out there that have been waiting for this moment to shine as well because if if Liverpool can do it, then any team can do it. And I know that's not that's something that you don't want to hear, but Liverpool 5 years ago unimaginable to what we had last season. So with Everton starting as strong as they are, it's it's something to write in the history books if that continues. I don't see that happening. But it is it is enjoyable. It makes this league more competitive. Yeah, I think that... And to your point earlier, though, when you say that it's such a small sample size, I don't really think it is. We're a month into the Premier League now at this point. And it's not like how we had you know several games in a week with Project Restart. We're back to the one match every single week. So when you're, when you're a month deep you can start looking back and reflecting and seeing wh- how the rest of the season is going to be set. Because again, to talk about Tottenham, when we were a month into the Premier League last year, how, how we, how it led to the sacking of Pochettino basically at that point. I feel like we could talk about Premier League all day and we will talk a little bit more about Everton in a minute, uh, but we got a great show today. We will be talking a little bit about the new Champions League draw along with a pitch profile on Everton's new star player, James Rodriguez. Yes, absolutely. You're going to want to stick around for that pitch profile. I know Everton's a hot topic right now, so I figured no no time like the present to dive into one of their key players with a good connection to a manager right now that's hopefully leading to you know success in the locker room that we're seeing. Always feel free to submit us pitch profiles everyone's favorite at the end of the episode, the pub of the week. You're going to want to stick around for that one. It is actually our first pub of the week submission that goes out of our country, north of the border. You're going to want to find out what place we're shouting out up in the great city of Toronto. What is Toronto's nickname? I can't The six, dude. 
up in the six. I'm not gonna say that. I'm <laughs> <laughs> nah, dude. You gotta call it the six. All the kids are calling it that. You're gonna want to stick around for what we have coming from the great city of Toronto. I'm not calling it the six. I know Tyler wants me to call it, but that just doesn't sound right coming from my mouth. But yeah, Known I love by that. Some city. of the youths as the six. You gotta you gotta drop this old man energy, man. <laughs> You're not that old. And it's not I'm the starting youths. my TikTok. Don't worry, I'm starting you... my TikTok career soon. Elisha Elisha motivated me. But why you even bring up t- TikTok when you say the youths? The youths are on TikTok the same way that they're on Facebook, the same way that they're on Instagram. There is Every single age, every single demographic on TikTok, you just think that it's the youths. What about MySpace? I've never even I I never even had a MySpace. Oh God, you're just you're the worst, Nate. I feel like we're getting off track again, though. I, I do apologize to the non youths Okay, okay, that are just as lost as I They're, am. Everyone's on TikTok. You just got to get on it at this point. Let's move on to talk now, more. It's about- now on my phone. Okay, let's get back on track. You're a little bit off the rails. The main subject of our episode this week, now that we're 20 minutes in, is actually what happened in terms of the draw of Champions League. We're going to cover the Champions League group stages this week. I know Europa also happened this week as well. We're going to table that conversation for next week, so that's something to look forward to. This is this is one of my favorite times of the year. Just I think I got really into it last year watching the draw. It's just I don't think there's anything better than Champions League in soccer. It's so cool seeing all of these top flight clubs all over Europe. Some clubs you may not be too familiar with. And just seeing, you know, who's stacking up against who, who's playing who to start to get into that knockout stage. I think we have some really good groups this year. I think we have some great matches that I'm really looking forward to. Some matchups that we haven't seen before. I do want to mention before we get to into these individual group stages, A through H, that I want to talk about just the award ceremony for a quick brief second here. Um, Robert Lewandowski was awarded the UEFA Player of the Year last year, which makes sense. Top goal scorer, as well as winning the Champions League with Bayern Munich. No questions, no doubts in my mind about that, yes. However, I found a odd moment of awkwardness whenever he was on that stage being interviewed um, by the hosts. The woman that was presenting him the award kind of shamed how he was dressing and in a not controversial way, but in just in an awkward way. Whereas Lewandowski was definitely overdressed. He was wearing a tuxedo. He had a bow tie on, which is fine. Like the guy knows he's walking into an environment where he's going to be in the spotlight a lot. He's going to be granted uh, an award I get it. I get why you're going to wear a tuxedo, whereas, you know, you saw some other players just wearing like turtlenecks at turtlenecks and suits. It's not that black tie event. However, the, the woman that was speaking to him, which is like, did you not talk to your teammates? Why did you choose to wear this? And like, and it wasn't in a like questionable way. Like she was kind of joking at him. I just know my own personal insecurities were like, if someone called that out to me, I would just be thinking about that Every single day, it'd be like if I was on a main stage and I had like a piece of pepper or something in my tooth that I didn't see that everyone's calling out and making fun of me. I just felt bad for him. Yeah, like that's one of the biggest accomplishments of your life, right? You win this prestigious award. I know he's won countless awards. His club's won countless trophies. It's a little weird that like they she wouldn't let this go. And he's just like, 
I just I just wanted this award. Like it's been a cool year. Do you have to like do you have to keep going at this? And then she asked him to dance on stage. And that's where I was like, what is going on? Because yeah, he he has his celebrations. He enjoys dancing and that's it's just a fun part of who he is. And I get that as an interviewer, you want to bring out some color, but I, I just don't understand why you'd put somebody on the spot like that in a very, especially small, intimate setting now that everything's in social distancing COVID to like make the person who is the MVP of Champions League like, oh, just give us a dance. I understand why he declined to do that. He's got a TikTok too, right? Moving on to the actual group stages. <laughs> so let's talk about this draw, right? Is there anything, Tyler, that you wanted to talk about in terms of the actual draw process itself, or should we just dive into the actual placements of this? The only thing I just wanted to say is I thought it was weird in COVID times that they still had all these people with their hands in those bowls just mixing all the balls around. I thought that was a little odd too, considering whenever I walk into just a pharmacy or a grocery store that people still have gloves on or everything is extremely hand sanitized, there's always wipes around. I would think that at this stage in 2020 that we would have made it a more automized process maybe there being like a actual lottery air machine that we see like in the maybe like the nhl lottery draft something like that or even just something digital that somebody can press a button but with people think that there's so much football corruption around maybe they just wanted to actually see that people are handling these lottery balls with their actual hands i don't know but i agree with you i i was i was shocked actually to see that how much physical contact was going on in this actual lottery drawing. Well, I do want to talk about all the groups as well. I think it just for the casual fan, it might be nice to know a little bit about some of these big clubs. I know a lot of our listeners might know a lot about the top tier clubs, but you know, maybe some of these other prestigious ones we can talk a little bit about. Just a quick rundown of these group stages. Something to keep in mind. This is the group stages, meaning that Two of these teams that you will hear in each of these stages will then advance into the knockout round. Yeah, from there, it will be best aggregate goals on two matches. Advances until you get to the final. It's that one match. Let's go ahead and get into it, Nate. Starting with Group A, we start off right out of the gate with the defending champions of Europe, Bayern Munich. Along with them in Group A is Atletico Madrid, FC Salzburg, and and Locomotive Moscow. I thought it was great that... From the very first draw, we got to see in Group A, Bayern Munich defending champs. I think it's really interesting, especially because they're going to have to go up against Atletico Madrid. I do think those will be the two teams that walk out of Group A. I honestly am just more curious to see how Bayern does against Atletico, just because this was already a fun team to watch, and I I hate saying that because I had to watch them beat Liverpool in person. I think they're going to be a real contender this year with Luis Suarez. I, I did just want to give another shout out to FC Salzburg. I know it's unlikely that they advance, but it's a good team to always keep an eye on because they actually produce some top tier talent. Uh, Sadio Mane actually came from FC Salzburg, as did another Liverpool player, uh, Takumi Minamino. Atletico has only become better now that they've had Luis Suarez added into their roster. So Salzburg is a very fun club. They always seem to have a player or two to watch but I just don't see Locomotive or Salzburg uh, making outside of this group stage. Pretty clear cut. Bayern and Atletico are two of the biggest teams in the world. Just be sure to keep an eye on those matches. It'll be, you know, those will just be entertaining regardless. 
moving on into Group B, uh, another pair of very interesting teams. We have Real Madrid, uh, Inter Milan, joined by Shakhtar Donsk and Borussia Mönchengladbach. It's a fun group for sure. Inter actually recently beat Shakhtar in a 5-0 victory in August in the Europa League. I don't know. I'm not really expecting much out of these two other teams. Again, I do think it's a bit stacked between Inter and Real, but it'll be some fun matches for sure. We feel pretty confident saying that Real could make another deep run in this, but I am interested in Inter Milan. They were so damn close to winning the Europa League just a couple months ago. That own goal to Lukaku was heartbreaking, and Sevilla ended up winning that. I'm just wondering if that loss to Sevilla motivates them to, to make a deep Champions League run. Yeah, and they've made some recent changes to their roster as well with Vidal being brought in. You know, Christian Eriksen, who uh, was a very important member of Tottenham, has recently been kind of placed on the bench for who I mentioned earlier in the episode, uh, Stefano Sensi. So they still have some things to figure out in terms of getting things locked down. But with that being said, they have a lot of potential, a lot of strong members in that side. So I do see them getting out of this group stage as well. I I really think it's no contest again between these two teams. Moving on to group C, here is where we kind of get into a little bit more of a competitive side between four teams. We have FC Porto, Manchester City, Olympiacos, and Marseille. City's having a really hard start to their season. They're in the bottom 10 of the Premier League. They have a weak defense. I expect them to walk away on top of this group stage. However, we could see Marseille from the French League walk out on top of this group stage. Porto and Olympiacos all have a lot to prove. What better way than hitting City when they're weak, right? This could be the biggest toss-up in terms of the group stages, at least what I'm looking at. I like to think that Manchester City got off pretty easy with this, all things considered. You know, we'll talk about some of these other groups in a bit, but like they could be in a lot worse shape for the group stage. They weren't even a, a pot one guy, which means like, you know, one of those league winners or one of those top tier clubs that got like, you know, first draw basically. So the fact that they drew Porto, Olympiacos, and Marseille, uh, I don't think it could have gone better for them. Well, let's not forget that they've been playing without Sergio Aguero or Gabriel Jesus. Like the injuries up front have just been crippling. So once those guys are healthy, I do expect them to turn it around pretty quick. That's fair. Uh, We'll see how long those two players are out by the time that uh, at the end of the month when Champions League gets uh, off to full swing. Moving on to Group D, we have your favorite team, Liverpool, IX, Atalanta, and FC. Wow. No idea how to say that. I would guess Mid-Thailand. There we go. I'm not editing that out because that's a weird word. That's one of my favorite parts about Champs League is that for all the top tier clubs you get, you do get these teams you've never heard of in your entire life, and you have to try and guess them and how you pronounce them on a podcast that people listen to and expect you to have credibility. But anyway, (laughs) I will say this about Group D. As a Liverpool fan, I am terrified about this group. I felt decent about it you know, going in. But after watching them lose 7-2 to Aston Villa this weekend, the defense has been so bad. And now you're going against Atalanta, who was one of the best offenses in the world last season. And Ajax, you know, who's no stranger to scoring goals either. They always have talent. There do seem to be some real issues. Allison's going to be out for at least four weeks. So he will miss the opening of the group stage. 
it's it's just concerning. I I did see one tweet though that just it was pretty funny. It was just like Group D, you know, no defense, all goals, just vibing out. Just there's no rules. I will say haven't done a bet of the week in a while, but whatever the line is for every single one of these matches, just bet the over. I'm pretty sure you're going to make money. I do expect a lot of goals to come out of Group D for sure, especially with Atalanta, which they, if if I remember correctly, scored more goals than any team has ever scored before in a season in Serie A. Is that correct? They matched a record having three players who scored at least 15 goals. No stranger to scoring goals and breaking some recent records in their league. I'm not too intimidated by Ajax. I know that they're no stranger to the Champions League. I know they've made some recent transfers out of that club, so they are sitting on a little bit of money right now. Transfer window closes tomorrow at the time of uh, the recording of this podcast, so maybe they'll make some moves in those regards, but some of their players have left recently, and I don't think they're as strong as a team as they were last year. We can go ahead and go into Group E. We have the reigning Europa League champion, Sevilla, going along with Chelsea, Krasnodar, and Wren. I guess you guys probably know by now we don't know much about Krasnodar or Wren, but I do think it's actually pretty interesting to see how these two matches between Sevilla and Chelsea pan out. Yeah, we have a few weeks for Chelsea to figure out what's going on with their chemistry in their locker room. Uh, It just really doesn't seem like they've figured out what's going to mesh for the amount of money and the new signs they've brought in, having some struggles on their own front within the Premier League. But they can obviously score goals. We've seen that. They were recently eliminated this past week um, in the Carabao Cup by Tottenham. Shout out to that match. So they, this is their cup to prove at this point. They have a few weeks, like I said, to figure things out. And I don't know. I think that this could also be a toss up if they're not able to get that chemistry locked down, but Sevilla is going to come out strong. I do think that uh, without a doubt, Sevilla is walking away out of this group stage. I just think this will be a great opportunity for Lampard and his squad to, you know, especially against these weaker teams, show what they're made of, work out some kinks and maybe, you know, mess with some lineups. I know some of these guys are finally getting healthy, especially Christian Pulisic. So, you know, I think it's just a good opportunity for them to figure some shit out and then hopefully advance into the knockout stage, at least for their sake. And let's talk about Group F. So we have Zenit, St. Petersburg, Borussia Dortmund, Lazio, and Club Brugge. I'll be completely honest. I don't know too much about Zenit, but apparently they are the best the Russian Premier League has to offer. They are the reigning champions. This might be Dortmund's last chance to make some real noise with Erling Holland and Jaden Sancho. So I would be honest, I would really like to see that club make a deep run this year, especially because of the emergence of Giovanni Reina, the son of American soccer legend Claudio Reina. He scored a hat trick of assists the other game for Dortmund. And so I'm very excited to see what he can keep doing, and I do think that this is really an opportunity for them. It could be in that locker room that they know this might be one last hurrah, and it would be really awesome to see if they can just go all the way. I think you're right with those two particular players uh, for Dortmund, Holland and Sancho, but I don't see them doing much outside of this group stage. Again, it's the Bundesliga. The only team that's ever competitive in these leagues are Bayern Munich. Even though Dortmund came in second in that league, I still don't think that they rank uh, or stack up to any of these other Champions League teams. 
if they get out of this group stage, it's going to be a hard fought battle, but I don't see them going much further outside of the group stage itself. Of course, I do think that Lazio, again, we talked a little bit about Immobile before the guy knows how to score goals and they're not really stopping in terms of the momentum so far this year. I do think that we're going to see some good matches, but I don't expect much outside of the performance of Halan and Sancho. And uh, I, I, I want to stop you there and I can't believe I'm about to do this, but I do have to de- I do have to defend the Bundesliga for just a second because we cannot forget that RB Leipzig did make it to the semifinals last year. And I just, mm, I hate saying it, but like, come on, man, there's a chance. If, if Leipzig could do it without Timo Werner, I have hope. I don't know. I just, I just don't see it. It's just a weird start to the season in a lot of different ways, but I don't think that we're going to have a Champions League winner come out of Group F, though. I'll just say that. We're, the last two groups are probably the two that are the most intriguing. We will start with Group G, where we start with Juventus, Barcelona, Dynamo Kiev, and Ferenc Varos. Uh, and I just gotta say, Nate, with Juventus and Barcelona, this is the matchup we've always been waiting for. Serginho Dest and Weston McKinney. <laughs> That's definitely the headline. For sure. That's no other players on these teams we, we destined by fate to meet once again for the first time. Uh, like Obviously, we, we need to talk about Messi and Ronaldo, but I, I just think this is a great moment for United States soccer, right? We've just gone through all of this list of players and just think about how well, think about how well represented the United States are this year. Obviously, we have McKenney and Juventus. We have Dest at Barcelona. We have Christian Pulisic at Chelsea. We have Tyler Adams at RB Leipzig. We have Gio Reyna at Dortmund. Like, this feels unprecedented in my lifetime that we have so many young guys that aren't just playing for these teams, but they're excelling for these teams. Americans are peppered into the Champions League this year, and it's a, it's a wonderful feeling. Okay, okay, we can talk about Messi and Ronaldo now. <laughs> yeah, it, I, I'm excited. This might be the last time we see Messi in Barcelona during the Champions League. But, you know, he might just probably stay in Barcelona because he's never going to leave. Yeah, uh, sure. But, um, yeah, so we'll see what happens now that Ronaldo is no longer at Real Madrid. I, I kind of expect both of these two teams, again, to walk out of this group stage. I bet Juventus is going to walk away with winning out of that match, though. That's what I think is going to happen. But uh, correct me if you think differently, though. I just want to say the significance of this obviously is that Messi and Ronaldo are playing in the group stage for the first time ever against each other. So we will get to see not one, but two Messi-Ronaldo matches in the group stage, which I don't think you could ask for much more. That's going to be really exciting. But yeah, I mean, the fact that you and I don't know a whole lot about Dynamo Kiev or this other team I cannot pronounce, I feel bad for them. They're going against two of the greatest soccer players of all time on some very good clubs. But again, just... I will have to make sure to block out my days just to be able to watch those Ronaldo Messi matches. They're always classics. And the fact that we get not one but two of them is something that I think that we should all cherish because I don't think it's ever going to happen again unless Messi stays in Barcelona. But um, yeah, Uh, so let's talk about our last group and probably the most exciting one. We have Paris Saint-Germain, Manchester United, RB Leipzig, and Istanbul Baskenkar. Again, another one that we probably butchered the pronunciation, but it's fine. But it's obvious that this final group 
is the consensus group of death, right? You have three clubs fighting for two spots. And I know RB Leipzig is probably going to be considered the underdog of these three, but I really think it's Manchester United. I think they're the big loser in this group. Like, after what we saw against your boys, the Hotspurs, like, things are just falling off the rails. I think Ole Gunnar's job is in serious jeopardy. If he gets if he gets sacked before this episode comes out, just I would not be surprised. I think they could still edge out RB Leipzig, but like it's 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 been a rough run for United. I do think PSG's safe, just too much talent there. Yes, it appears that PSG's hangover of the Champions League has finally worn off. Um as of this past week, they recently won a match six to one, so the team definitely knows how to be competitive again and score goals. I think you're right that they're going to walk away from this without um, too much of a problem. Manchester United fought so hard to make it to the Champions League this year, only for them to probably take an early exit in this group stage. It's it's, it's pretty sad to see in some ways because they had such an historic comeback f- when Project Restart happened. I personally considered it more of a Leicester collapse as far as how Manchester United got in, but I don't get it, man. It's it's one of the most talented teams just on paper in the Premier League, but I think the issue I always have with it is watching Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the bench. He just seems so detached. You never see him standing trying to talk to players. I always just feel like he's just sitting on the bench, watching it on a screen, just reacting when his team fucks up, as they usually do. I just think... There needs to be a change at manager there, and if that happens, I am scared. I do think if that team, if someone can light a fire under that team's ass, that is the scariest team in the Premier League. And there you have it. That is our preview for the group stages of the Champions League. Can you make a prediction of who you think is going to win it all, walk away? What upsets do you think are going to come outside of these group stages? Let us know. We would love to hear your opinions, and we can talk about it on future episodes. Uh, Hit us up on our Twitter as well as our Instagram, and we're happy to talk to you about it further. Well, unfortunately, I have to keep talking about uh, Everton, which is the hometown rival for Liverpool. It is just insane to me that I have to keep covering this, but I, I have to say it. It's been fun to watch. It it has been genuinely fun to watch Everton play. And every single Liverpool fan that listens to this is screaming at you for saying that. I know. I know it's hard. But the way they move the ball, they are just so dialed in right now. And when we think about what has changed for this club, it all comes down to James Rodriguez. And we figured that because of the Everton run, it was only right that we actually did a pitch profile on none other than James. It is a truly impressive story for someone that some of our more casual or younger fans may not be too familiar with, but make no mistake, James is on pace to become one of the best midfielders in the world once again. Certainly interesting story. So let's dive in to James David Rodriguez Rubio. James was born in Cucuta, Colombia, right on the border of Venezuela on July 12th of 1991. He was born to a middle-class family and was an only child to Wilson James Rodriguez Bedoya and Maria del Pilar Rubio. James got his love of football from his father, who helped him get involved in the game at an early age by helping him get into the soccer academy in Tolima, where his father had also actually played. As a child, Ahmed developed a stuttering disorder that still affects him to this day. This made him a much more shy player as a kid, 
And you can even notice his timid approach to interviews and media appearances currently. After four years with the Talima Academy, Hamas joined his first professional team in 2005, joining second division Colombian club En Vigado. He was promoted to the senior squad in 2006 at just 14 years old, playing with the team for three seasons before joining the Argentine club Banfield in 2008. A few years later, Rodriguez finally got his big break, moving to Portugal to play for the prestigious FC Porto in 2010. Uh, this is where he really started to garner some national attention. He actually won the Portuguese Golden Ball Award given to the league's best player in 2012, becoming the youngest player ever to win the award at just 20 years old. Around the same time, James had also started to establish himself as a promising young star for the Colombian national team. In 2011, in the U-20 World Cup, James was not only named Colombia's team captain, he also finished the tournament with three goals and three assists. His performance in the tournament turned plenty of heads and had Colombian citizens buzzing about his eventual addition to the senior squad. In 2011... James married his girlfriend, volleyball player Daniela Ospina, whom he has one daughter with. She is the sister of David Ospina, who is also a player on the Colombian national team and former Arsenal goalkeeper. In 2013, James joined AS Monaco for a transfer fee of $45 million, which at the time was the second largest transfer fee in Portuguese football history. Although he only played with the Ligue 1 club for a little more than a year, his impact was felt immediately. He finished with his debut season leading of all Ligue 1 in assists while, while helping AS Monaco qualify for the Champions League. It wasn't until the 2014 World Cup that James became an international sensation. The Colombian national team reached unprecedented heights in the World Cup, making its first ever quarterfinals in the history of the national team, thanks to the contributions of Rodriguez. He finished with six goals and four assists in eight World Cup matches. He was awarded the Golden Boot despite only making it to the quarterfinals, but he was also the award recipient of the Goal of the Year for his legendary volley against Uruguay, where the manager described it as one of the greatest goals in World Cup history. Alvaro Pereira hit by Hamas! Oh, what a goal! One of the greats! To have the ability... Just to try it. And the excellence to execute it. Few in the world. During the World Cup, James went on record in an interview talking about his love and admiration for the club Real Madrid, saying that it would be a dream one day to play for the club. Fortunately for him, it did not take long for his dream to come true as Real Madrid made a move for Rodriguez in July of 2014 in what was one of the most expensive transfers ever at the time. It was also his first stint playing for manager Carlo Ancelotti. After a solid start to his career with Real, in 2015, James broke his foot, sidelining him from play. Less than 48 hours after he had surgery on his foot, James attended a birthday party that landed him in some hot water with the club. Cristiano Ronaldo's 30th birthday party was held with much distaste to the Madrid officials who were not happy that some of the players and staff chose to attend the birthday bash following Real Madrid's 4-0 defeat to Atletico Madrid earlier that day. 
but they were unable to punish those who attended the event because technically no rules were broken. However, according to club regulations, injured players are required to comply with a mandatory 72 hours of rest following the diagnosis or treatment of an injury. Since James had an operation less than 48 hours before the birthday bash, he was subject to a fine. Despite Real's league title dominance and successful defense of the Champions League title, and James scoring 13 goals and providing 13 assists, he failed to gain more playing time under Zinedine Zidane despite his influence on the pitch. This ultimately led him to request a loan transfer for more playing time. Which leads us to July of 2017 when it was announced that James was loaned out to Bayern Munich on a two-year-long loan deal. Bayern paid Real Madrid 13 million euros as a loan fee for the two-season-long loan. With James' loan deal to Bayern, he was reunited with former Real Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti. It was also announced at around the same time that James was in the process of divorcing his wife. Ospina mentioned she did not want to move to Germany when James was sent on loan to Bayern Munich. She wished to stay in Colombia to pursue her entrepreneur dreams. However, more is reported to this story. There are rumors that he had an affair with a Russian model, Helga Lovescaddy, a confessed admirer of James. James would go on to win the 2017-18 Bundesliga title with Bayern, go figure, credited as a key member behind their title defense for his contribution of seven goals, 11 assists in 23 appearances. Bayern's CEO thanked Ancelotti for luring James to Bayern, saying, It was a very, very good transfer, and I have to thank Caro Ancelotti once again. However, in June of 2019, it was announced that Bayern Munich would not pick up the buy option and he would return to Real Madrid. That brings us now up to speed, heading into September of this year when James joined Premier League club Everton on a two year deal a club option for a third season. This deal once again reunited him with manager Carlo Ancelotti for the third time in his career. Obviously, that connection means something. It has only been about a month, but so far, James has had a massive impact for the Everton club. At the time of recording this, Everton are currently sitting at the top of the Premier League table through four games with James already responsible for three goals and two assists. I think there has to be something worth being said of just this partnership he seems to have with Carlo Ancelotti. I would imagine that chemistry and just the respect that he has for that manager really adds to the performance that he has out on the pitch, right? It seems like he wants to play for this manager. This manager trusts him. And because of that, it's certainly resonating on the field. And I feel like that has to be very inspiring to a lot of the other Everton players out there. I think the person that's benefited most from this move is Dominic Calvert-Lewin, a mainstay for Everton at striker. I think this has opened up the field so much for him. I mean, we look at this with six matches between the Premier League and Carabao Cup. The dude already has nine goals. I'm not exaggerating. Six matches, nine goals. He is on pace for the golden boot, and he has no one to thank but James for opening up the field for him. And you heard it here on the First Touch Football Club podcast. Thanks again for all the great submissions out there. We'll continue to bring you some highlights of other players. Just hit us up on our social media sites, and we'll be happy to take your submissions for pitch profiles in the coming weeks. And with that, it's time to head over to our last segment of the podcast this week. And it's my favorite, your favorite, I assume everyone's favorite, the Pub of the Week. Pub of the Week. This submission is from FTFC member Aaron Bowes. 
as I mentioned, this is actually our first submission that is north of the border up in Toronto, Canada. Aaron is submitting Real Sports Bar and Grill. It's located at 15 York Street in Toronto, Canada. This was actually once voted the number one sports bar in North America by ESPN. Uh, You can watch games there. They have huge TVs, 39-foot HD screens, over 200 HD TVs throughout the bar. They have over... 120 beers on tap. Not to mention there's a lot of space and it's right next to the Air Canada Center. Obviously, you can catch any kind of game there, but Aaron says if you find yourself in the need of a good place to watch a soccer game in old Toronto area, head there and let them know the FTFC sent you. I'll do it from us at the First Touch Podcast. We will leave you the same way we leave you every week in that there is no room for racism.